So as we continue now through our interventions, we're going to move on to anchoring and this is on unit seven. So why don't you turn to page 57 in the manual? So what is anchoring? What is it? It was a process of stimulus response. And the first person to notice anchoring was a guy named William Twitmeyer. If you've heard of him, it was Twitmeyer who first, I think it was in 1902, realised that when he was a professor of psychology doing his doctorate on the patella tendon reflex, he would hit a patient on the knee with a small doctor's hammer, you know, the ones they've got for the knee jerk reflex test. Well, this is where it came from. Well, he hit a patient on the knee and noticed that the knee reacted, it jerked. So in 1902, he wrote a paper about the knee jerk reflex, which was presented to the American Medical Association. Now, the thing that he also noticed was that if he told the patient that he was going to hit their knee, and he did that several times, he noticed that sometimes when he told the patient he was going to hit their knee, before he could hit their knee, their knee jerked like it was anticipating the hit. And it's, it sure sounds a bit like an anchor to me. Anyway, he wrote this paper called The Knee Jerk Reflex, presented that in 1902. And I don't think it went very far. I think a lot of people may have a real interest, except for, except for the hammer thing. The notion of anchoring didn't really get picked up until a young Russian researcher named Ivan Pavlov read it and in 1904 he presented his paper to the Russian Medical Society called Stimulus Response. Now some of you will have heard of Pavlov's work and you may have heard of Pavlov's dogs so by 1904 he'd been working with these dogs and the work that he was doing with those dogs was a form of anchoring to test group response and actually what Pavlov would do he would take the dog and show the dog a stake and ring the bell or actually the tuning fork and he'd bring this tuning fork and show the dog a stake and he got those two things the stimulus the stake and the tuning fork at the same time and eventually he noticed that when he rang the tuning when he used the tuning fork the dogs would salivate without the stake being present so he wrote this paper in 1904 and that eventually became the grounds of behavioral psychology in 1936, Andrew Salter wrote a really great book called Condition Reflexes. And a lot of the work in the behavioural science came originally from Pavlov. But the interesting thing, however, is that we in NLP picked up on the idea of anchoring and began to notice that people are also subject to it. Now, I'm not calling you a dog, obviously, but the people are sub that people are subject to anchoring. Now, how many people who are listening to this were subject to an anchor when you were in a classroom last and you were asked to raise your hands in agreement with something that the teacher was saying or the trainer was saying? And of course, the fact is that everyone will have raised their hands to that. Probably. Well, yes. For example, I mean, how many anchors are on your alarm clock in the morning? Mm, that's a good one to think about two for me you're driving along in a car and the traffic light for a certain the traffic light for certain is an anchor and we all know when to stop and when to go 
Have you ever been sad about something and someone puts their arm around you? Well, actually, this can anchor further sadness. So that's something to think about. What do you do when your phone notifications buzz or beep? How many of you can ignore their phone once that happens? Most people pick it up. And sometimes I see people, they get up and get their phone before they've even think about, thought about it. And when someone smiles, do you smile back at them? Or what about if you go to the theatre, a gig or a game, and when we get to the end, we know we are anchored to clap and applaud. What about those advertising slogans? Certain advertising slogans we respond to, as soon as we hear the music, we know what it is. We're anchored to the product and it can set us into a buying motion. What about your favourite song, piece of music, which invokes a certain response? So all of those are anchoring. So these are all anchors and behavioural psychologists believe that all our behaviour is a result of an anchor. So our behaviour is actually a series of anchors. That it's a series of conditioned reflexes and they believe that we're simply a conditioned reflex machine. And that the learning of new things is simply a matter of setting up new anchors and connecting new things with these. Interesting, huh? Now, there's a lot of people in uh, there. There are some people in NLP that believe that NLP is actually only about anchoring and reframing. Some people believe that anchoring is one of the major parts of NLP. And I'd say it, it plays a pretty big part in it. So as we talk about anchoring today, we'll be looking at page 57. And here you can see on page 57, the definition of anchoring. So let's go back and define that. Anytime a person has an associated intense state, if we apply at the peak of that experience a specific stimulus, if a specific stimulus is applied, then the two can be linked together neurologically. And anchoring can assist you in gaining access to past data and bringing the past to the present and the future. And that's useful. So let's say that you wanted to be more in control of your state. If you had a really powerful resource, which would be there all the times when you ever wanted to feel really positive about yourself, to stack those states together, to put those states together into one big anchor, that would probably help you at any time, wouldn't it? When you felt a little low or you felt like your resources weren't totally present and you need that. And if you sort of just fired off that anchor in it, that would probably put you in that really powerful positive state. And of course the answer is, it will. See, here's the question. And I think the question to ask yourself is, how would I like to be totally in charge of my own internal state? And for me, that was a major shift in my experience because I'll tell you what, before NLP, I used to wake up in the morning and used to think that my state was controlled by the way I woke up. So some mornings I'd wake up and I'd feel really good, you know, I'd feel great. And I'd go through the whole day and have an amazing day. And sometimes I'd wake up and I'd feel awful. And I might feel tired or another negative state or whatever. 
And I noticed that those days that I felt really awful and I noticed that I'd, I'd have to take time for myself. But what I realised after NLP was that actually I could control that state. I could control my own state and I could be in charge of that. And that's really powerful because what I realised was that I could be in any moment in the kind of state that I chose to be. So that if I needed to be in a powerful, positive state, I could be. I, if I needed to be in any state that I needed, I could literally call it up in that moment. Well, how do you do that? Well, if you remember, if we go back to the NLP model of communication on page 10, we can actually notice that once everything's gone through, we get our internal representation here on the left-hand side of the diagram on page 10. And in that package of the internal representation, which you remember includes pictures, sounds, feelings, tastes and smells in your self-talk, that's ultimately coupled to a state. Now, when it's coupled with a state which is a happy state or sadness state or motivated state, as you see there, that's intimately coupled with your physiology. So the relationship between the internal representation and the physiology ends up being the state and the state is what we enter. And then whatever state that we enter, the whatever state that you're in is, is what we end up anchoring when we do anchor a state. And of course, that entire package of internal representation, state and physiology ends up creating our behaviour. So we're most interested in being able to be in charge of that internal representation or that state or the physiology all together so let's talk about how to be in charge of your internal state and i think that's really important from from the point of view of state control i think that people are more in charge of their state than we give them credit for and so think about the presuppositions of nlp and it came out as a question of what richard badler asked was who's driving the bus Who's in charge of that vehicle that you have inside of your head or the vehicle that you use as you go through your daily activities? And who's actually in charge of that particular transportation here? And of course, that would be, you know, who's in charge of your thinking? You're the person in charge of what you do. You're the person who creates the thoughts that you have. You're the person who can choose to think a thought or not, or choose not to think about it. Now, if you want to be in a really positive state, and you can take a look at how we become in charge of our own states on page 58. All you have to do is remember a time when you were in that positive state. And here's an example. Can you remember a time when you were totally motivated? Can you remember a specific time? And as you go back to that time now, go right back to that time. Float down into your body, see what you saw, hear what you heard and feel the feelings of being totally and utterly motivated and feel the energy as it goes through your body of feeling totally motivated. 
There you go. Good, good. Now that's an example of being in charge of your state, okay? So come on, come back. So you could at any moment choose to be totally motivated or you could choose whatever state that you want to be in. Now the interesting thing of you being in charge of your brain, you're the one who's running the brain, the one who's driving the bus, so to speak. So you really do have a choice by simply paying attention to the internal representations that you use. The internal representations that you have inside of your head now. As people have internal representations throughout their entire day. And they affect them. So everyone has a series of internal representations that go through their head on a regular basis. So how do we capture them physically? How do we capture those internal representations and link them? So they're hooked up to a stimulus or an anchor so that we can recall that state at will. Now that's the process of anchoring. Now we can nip back over, we can jump back over and look at page 36, which are the, the triggers in NLP, some triggers in NLP. And these are different contexts because this also brings into the account the notion of triggers in anchoring. So remember we talked about triggers and that's the way you pick up the front end to ever like to dislike. As you say, when you think of that, do you have a picture? And you talked about the swish pattern and whenever you're setting up a swish, you need to ask the person, how do you know it's time to? Now with an anchor, with an anchor, we ask the person and we're back on 50, page 58 now. We ask the person, can you remember a time when you were totally at whatever, whatever the state that is? Can you remember a specific time? So we're going to ask the person to remember a specific time when they access a certain state. And that state is really important. We're going to catch that state. We're going to watch the person getting into that state. We're going to catch the state as they go into it. So let's see what steps are for the RACE acronym at the top there. There's four steps that we've given you and it's we've given you a mnemonic device to make it easier. The RACE mnemonic device. And that just helps you remember these. And you don't need to remember them necessarily as a practitioner, but certainly by the time you want to become a trainer, then it will be important for you to be able to remember the four steps to anchoring. So the first step is to have a person that you're working with recall a past vivid experience. So the first thing is to have the person recall a past vivid experience. And now the experience itself should be and I really need to say vivid. That means that you want them to be associated with the event. The event wants to be intense. So if you say to a person, can you remember a time when you, you were totally motivated and they go like and shrug their shoulders? Well, that's not really motivating. So it's good to ask a client to access a state that they can remember a time of and that they should be accessing it more like this. So remember a time when you were totally motivated and the person goes, yes, well, that's a motivated state. You can tell that that was motivated because you hear it in their voice. And we can see that also as you look at them. You see their shift. You see the shift in their skin color and the skin tonus. You see the shift in their breathing rate and location. Uh, the, uh, of the breathing and the pupil dilation and focus. 
all of that you see the entire shift in the person using your sensory acuity and you notice as that person goes into that state now the person actually recalls the past vivid experience and now something gets really intense it's probably the most important way to remember and there's three levels of past vivid experience and you can see that at the top of the page there where it says which states are the best to anchor so let's talk about those let me sort of break that down for you so the most intense experiences of course and naturally occurring experiences so if we can actually catch the client experiencing the state in the moment so if we if we were to say with that person and we were remembering they were remembering a time when they were totally motivated that's going to be less intense than actually being in the state in the time when they were totally motivated if we're with them and of course we're not with our clients all the time but fortunately they're going to have to use a recall situation which is the next best thing to do but if if they're with us and you're going with someone and you get in that time you can anchor it so it's the best state but it when we normally anchor and we're with a state we recall that state so if you're in a state in the moment that's a good time to perform an anchor but the most vivid states are the natural naturally occurring states so the next most vivid state are those recalled states and those want to be really associated and the next one which is also possible to enter but least preferable are states which are constructed now some people don't have times in the past where they've got past powerful positive states so then what we ask them to do is construct the state and we might say something like this you remember a time you were totally motivated and and they go well i really have trouble remembering a certain state and you can say to the client, well, OK, so how about this? How would you stand if you were totally motivated? Show me, stand up and show me if you were in that situation where you were totally motivated today. Right now, how would you stand? How would you be standing? So stand like you'd be standing and breathe like you'd be breathing and say to yourself those things that you would say to yourself is you do that. So what the person's going to do is they're going to construct a, a constructed state for you. It's the least vivid of the three and the least preferable, but it is acceptable because some people can actually be anchored that way. Okay, so we're going to recall the past vivid experience. And by the way, the state elicitation script is on page 58. And if you probably already noticed that. So the next thing is we're going to provide that anchor. We're going to anchor at the specific thing that was at the peak. Let me explain to you what I mean by peak. As it says at the peak, that's the standard NLP line, but I want to talk to you for a moment about precision. And this is really important. So take a look at the bottom of page 57 for a moment. And we've got a sort of chart for an anchor and also the state. So what we have here at the bottom left, we have the intensity and you can see the intensity rises. And as the time goes from left to right, you'll notice this state is coming up here. It begins at the very beginning, as you see to the beginning, rise up. And I'm going to assume that even with your fabulous sensory acuity, because I know you've been practicing this since you heard it a while ago, all about sensory acuity. I know you've been practicing that, but I'm going to assume, because I also don't pick it up right away, 
I'm going to assume that you aren't going to see it right away when the person begins to go into the state. Now, the truth is that some people go into state very rapidly and you say to them, remember a time when you were motivated and they go, yes, straight away. Okay, so the, then there are some people that go into a state very, very slowly and you say, remember a time when you were totally motivated and they say, yes. And so in between that, they've had a few moments to access a state. So you need to look at them, look across at them from you and notice what the shifting colour is in the skin tone and lower lip size and pupil focus and dilation. All those things like breathing. So we use our sensory acuity and as we look across at them and notice and then provide that anchor right at the peak. Now how do we anchor right at the peak? See the left hand side of the diagram from the beginning at the bottom right up to where the anchor begins and I'm going to assume for the purposes of this discussion that we didn't notice them going into state until it got to right there. The minute you and you might want to make a note on your notes on page 57. The minute you notice the client going into the state, the minute you notice or the second you notice the client going into this state, what I want you to do is get your hands on that anchor. Now it's very handy to use knuckles as an anchor and I like knuckles for applying an anchor because they don't change. They just stay in the same place where they are. It can be tempting to anchor on an item of clothing and if you calibrate on the seams of a shirt that might seem like an idea that that might work but unfortunately if you calibrate on a seam for instance when people stand up the seam moves and the whole calibration well you can imagine see the nice thing about knuckles is they don't move so take a look at your hand for a moment and bend the knuckles back and forth shake your hand all around and notice the knuckles pretty much tend to stay in the same place so that's the good thing about the knuckles. I like them because they're always there. So we're going to apply the anchor to a place which is easy to get at. And knuckles are nice because, like I said, they stay in the same place. And you may want to ask the client, I'm going to touch you in a moment, okay? So we're applying the anchor and we've noticed the person going into state. We're going to look at our chart on the bottom of page 57. We notice the person going into state. We notice the intensity of the state coming up and then the minute, the second you notice that, you're going to get your finger on the anchor. You're going to get your finger on the knuckle. And now when you take your finger off, and please also make a note of this on page 57, right at the top of the anchor, right there is the peak of the state. So actually when you provide a specific stimulus, you're going to provide this specific stimulus just before the peak. So the hand comes off when the state reaches the peak. You don't want to take your hand off when the state reaches the peak before, after, after the hand reaches the peak, after the state reaches the peak, because sometimes other state comes in after, other states come in afterwards. We don't want to pick up those other states because a lot of times there's other things mixed in. So typically when we do an anchor, we're going to put the finger on the minute we notice the state rising. We're going to pull the hand off the minute we notice the state gets it. It's peak. Now here's the truth. The truth is you won't actually notice the state that it's in when it hits the peak because you're simply going to be happy being able to calibrate on the difference. 
So you're going to have to wait a few seconds until the state begins to go down to where you notice the peak leaving. So you're actually going to pick it up, take your hand off slightly after the end, but that's a real technical discussion. And typically, if you just simply get on just before the peak and get off at, right at the peak, that would be great. Okay, so we've anchored the state. Now we're going to go, we're going to change the person's state and then we're going to evoke the state again by setting off the anchor to test it. So we recall the specific state, we anchor the state, we change the state, we evoke the state. We make sure that we've tested the state to make sure it can be recalled. So what are the keys to actually making this work? We talked a little bit about some of those things before. So let's get to this specifically. And there are five keys to successful anchoring. And we've given you another mnemonic device here, which is iTurn. And you can also see that on page 57. So there's those five keys to successful anchoring. Well, first of all, the intensity of the experience is really interesting. It is really important. We talked a little bit about that and an anchor is to a stimulus which is recalled and which is applied to a state when a person has recalled a very powerful positive state. And if you're entering the state as well, remember, the person needs to be fully associated. Then at the peak of the experience or just before that, you apply the stimulus. And when that happens, the two to get linked together, they're linked together and are neurologically linked. The next thing, of course, is the filming of the anchor. We just talked about that. When people go into the state, you pick it up just as it begins. And then as it just hits or when it hits a peak, maybe slightly thereafter, you get your finger off. You can see it. You'll be able to see it because you've got some great sensory acuity. You'll notice the skin colour change. The skin tone is different and the focus of the eyes and the breathing rate will be will have changed. So then the third thing is the uniqueness of the stimulus. And if you anchor somebody by shaking their hand, is that a unique anchor? Well, no, probably not. In fact, every time somebody went to shake their hand, that person might go into that same state. But then after a while, because it's used so often in shaking hands, it would get watered down. Especially if there were other states going on at the same time. So have anchors ready at, already, already at a unique location and they'll literally last forever in the right circumstances. If the anchor is applied forever, it will take the first time and it can be recalled forever. However, if it's in a place where it continues to get fired off or it get, continues to get watered down or weakened, it won't last forever. It may not be so if the anchors have a unique location. It'll take the first time you'll be able to recall the state forever. Now, one thing you can do is stack it and stack it. The more and more states are stacked in the same place, then the anchor will get more powerful and becomes incredible place to recall a certain state. Okay, so the next is the replication of the stimulus and the replication of the stimulus is being able to repeat it. So that essentially means that we can actually take the state, we can fire off the anchor again, it repeats the number of states that you've taken. And then number five is the number of times. So how many times do we actually stack that anchor? So the number of times it actually relates is to stacking. And what that means is the more times you put the same state in the same place, the more powerful the anchor will become. OK, so we've talked about the setup of anchor, anchoring. So let's go back to the elicitation of the state 
And anchoring, by the way, is so marvellous because it really allows you to be in control of your own state. So you've got to calibrate the person. You've got to calibrate the person when they go into the state. Because if you say, can you remember a time when you were totally whatever the emotion? Can you remember a specific time? As you go back to that time right now, look down into your body, see what you saw, hear what you heard, and feel the feelings of being totally whatever it is. So whatever kind of states are useful to anchor. So let's see. I think to anchor, if you want to stack an anchor, if you, you want to elicit several instances of state and anchor them all in the same place. So the states that you choose for a particular stacked anchor can, can be the same or they can be different. And a resource anchor, if you look at page 59 and then a collapsed anchor on page 61, the states using a single anchor are different. And in changing states, the state used for each anchor should all be the same. So we'll talk about each of those separately when we get to that. All right. So first of all, you're going to stack a resource anchor. And these are some states that you could use. And I kind of like these. These are by no means the only states. And if your client or you want to look at other states, by all means, use them. So let's see a time when you felt totally powerful. A time when you felt totally loved. A time when you felt you could have it all and you knew that you could have it. Or how about a time when you felt really energetic? I mean, you had a ton of energy. And then my favourite, <laughs> a time when you felt down laughing. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a great state. And then a time when you felt totally confident. As you listen to the states, here, here's the secret. This is how to make it work. When you elicit the states, you as a practitioner, being in rapport with your clients, you're going to be in rapport with your client. You as a practitioner are going to go into that state that you're eliciting. So notice this. Can you think of a time when you felt totally powerful? Well, that's not going to be really powerful for the client, is it? It's not going to be if it's not really associated on your part. So let's say that you're in rapport with the client and you've got a rapport with the client and you say to the client, can, can you remember it when you fell down laughing? Now, if, the client, if you're in rapport with the client, the state will carry the client into the state. And that's great, isn't it? So you'll actually carry, carry the client right into that state. And both of you, the client will go right into that state as you go. So all of these states will be stacked in the same place, on the same knuckle, right on top of each other, to provide the most powerful resource anchor. Okay, so jump over to page 61 so we can talk about collapsing. And let's talk about the process of collapsing an anchor and it, if we're looking here on the um, PowerPoint the, the anchors just stacked all in one set one place so you can see all those positive anchors there and stacking a resource anchor there and if we look at collapsing anchors then we've got two areas where we're going to make things work so let's talk about this process of collapsed anchors and this gives a person a whole new set of neurological choices. It's best to use when a person goes into a state that they're not particularly comfortable with and they wish they didn't go into it. Actually, it's most useful when the person goes into a minor negative state, which they wish they didn't go into at the present time or the current level. So the best states for 
collapsed anchors are simply minor negative states which the which the client wishes they didn't get into so the the other issue comes up well what what is that state specifically i mean would you use this to collapse things like anger or fear well these are major negative states so i i use timeline therapy for things like anger or fear and we'll cover those a little bit on the timeline therapy course um but just remember that when you do collapse anchors it's probably used for minor states so it might be used for being annoyed or or a bit a bit frustrated or something like that so the first thing you're going to do is set up a really powerful positive resource anchor and in that sense what we're going to do we're going to stack a bunch of different states to the same place so remember a time when you were totally motivated to remember a time when you fell down laughing <laughs> all of those states that are on page 59 and any other state that your client likes or that you like or that you'd like to add then we're going to have a separate anchor for the negative state now remember here's the thing about collapsing anchors if the positive states are greater in intensity than the negative state then the positive states will win if on the other hand the negative state is greater than the positive state then sometimes a negative state could overtake the positive one and then you lose them so this is really where your calibration comes into play you need to pay attention to the client and notice that the positive states that you've totally stacked up there are greater than the negative state that you've got the one of so you stack the positive states and secondly you get the negative state and you do this once only so you can say remember remember the last time you accessed that negative state you anchor that in a different place you anchor that on the next knuckle that way you can collapse the anchors and what that means is you fire them both off at the same time and this is where both fingers hit the anchor at exactly the same time so what you're going to do is you're going to fire the two of them off at the same time and watch the integration occur and usually to me the integration often shows an asymmetry it's going to be some kind of asymmetrical asymmetry going back and forth across the midline or rapid eye movement or a shift of the head going back and forth or something that you'll see in a shift of color or skin tonus lower lip size etc any one of those might shift and then it will become steady and once it becomes steady then you can take your finger off the negative anchor for five seconds for five seconds you hold the positive anchor on and then you're done that's really the big picture by the way we never stack the negative anchors for collapsing and we may stack negative anchors in the chain of anchors for procrastination to motivation for example we may have to stop procrastination but in a collapsed anchor we never stack the negative so if you're removing more than one negative anchor then you can keep the same place to the positive but you want to put the negative anchor in a different place so what does this do it gives the client new neurological choices and it doesn't take away the choice of being negative but it integrates these particular feelings along with the negative ones and gives them new choices that they can make and to test it we have them go back and think about their negative state and we notice what state they get into instead so if we go to page 61 now and we can get really specific here with the script that i gave you so the first thing you do is get into rapport with the client so what i suggest here is that you match and mirror the client and you're going to decide on which resource states they're going to need 
And the number of positive resource states that are needed, you need at least five. And then decide on that one negative state that they want to collapse and make sure it's a minor negative state. And notice which powerful positive states are the most useful for the client. And notice that there may be some negative states or positive states on the list which aren't useful. So in that case, you say to the client, remember a time when you fell down laughing and the client goes, no. They don't have a falling down laughing reference of experience. Maybe they don't laugh, but that's okay. Don't use that one. Just use the ones that have some relationship to your clients that your client really, really relates to in some way. Number two, if you tell the client what you're about to do, so you say to the client, in a moment, I'm going to do a process called collapsed anchors. And you can explain what that means, even if that will necessitate that I touch you. Is that okay? I think that's really important to say to the client, I'm going to touch you in some, in some circumstances. If you didn't tell the client we're going to touch them before, they might jump up out of their skin. So you really want to mention to the client, excuse me, Mr. Client, but at this point, in just a moment, I'm going to touch you. So please be aware that that's coming. Get that agreement with their unconscious mind. Okay, so number three is remembering to ask the unconscious mind that you're getting good at checking congruency here with your sensory acuity now. So as you elicit the powerful positive states, get into each one before you elicit it in the client. Then number five, make sure the client is in a fully associated intense congruent state for each of those states. With four to six, you're going to anchor all of those positive states in the same place. So you can actually see the anchor on the slide of all the positive states in the same place. For example, a knuckle or some other easily identifiable place. But the knuckle is best. Number seven, remember to break state after that, because at number eight, we're going to anchor the negative state in a different place once. Then number nine, we're going to test the power of the stacked anchor against the test on the negative anchor to make sure that the stat resource anchor is the most powerful. Number 10 is where you fire the anchors at the same time. And you see that in the diagram where the circles represent the knuckles until they peak and they should peak together. And when they peak together and the integration is complete, you're watching the client here, they'll exhibit those signs of asymmetry until the integration is complete. And not every client will exhibit asymmetry, but most will, so it's worth watching. Number 11, you're going to release the negative anchor. Number 12, continue to hold the positive anchor for five more seconds and release that at number 13. You test and you say, well, how do you feel about that old state? And they tell you, well, this or this or this. And then number 14, you can say, can you imagine a time in the future where you might be in a similar situation and tell me what happened? You want to observe the client in the test the test in the future pace to make sure that they're not going back into that old state. So observe the client very carefully, keeping an eye on the client, making sure the client is in those powerful positive states. Or at least, at the very least, that the client's not in a negative state. Okay, so that's how you do a collapsed anchor. Very simply, stack up a bunch of powerful positive states, collapse it with the negative states, fire them both at the same time, making sure that they integrate and you leave your finger on the powerful positive state for a little bit longer than test and future pace. Okay, so let's move on to page 62 and we'll talk for a moment about chaining anchors. Now, chaining anchors is slightly different in, in the way that collapsed anchors are used because collapsed anchors are a classic anchor and 
it's where you anchor at a simultaneous time. We hold our fingers onto that knuckle at a simultaneous moment. Chaining anchors is going from one anchor to the next, to the next, to the next. So chaining anchors will go one, then to the other, then to another, then to another. What you notice here on the slide is that when we're talking about collapsed anchors being simultaneous, when we talk about chaining anchors, we talk about them being sequential. So before I talk about designing a new chain, the first thing that we need to find out is how to design the chain. Uh, the first thing that we want to do is we want to find out what the client currently does. Because we need to make sure that when we design the chain, it's totally different. So, think big picture. Chaining anchors is on this side. You simply elicit all the states and anchor them. And you test them and then chain one, two, three and four. But before that, you actually want to go through and design the chain. So before you go through and elicit all of that, you've got to design that whole chain so that it does go from one, two, three, four in a sequential manner and meets a certain criteria. So let's talk about that for just a moment. Here's how to design a chain. And by the way, chain design is really important when it comes to a number of different, different things. So during the chain of anchors, it's also the same kind of thinking that we do when we do a strategy installation and a strategy design. So we're going to use a chain as an example. So a real basic example before the beginning and how do you actually do the entire process of chaining, designing a chain from beginning to end. So decide the state, for the first state first. So what is the first state the person is presenting a problem? And essentially we use the procrastination here as the example. And then motivation will be the final state, the desired state that they want. So the person comes to me and they say, well, I procrastinate uh, or I don't get things done. And another good example of chain of anchors is, is someone who's stuck. I get stuck. I get grumpy. I feel like I have no option. Those are two really good examples of where you can use a chain. And actually, that doesn't bring up the question of when you do use a chain of anchors versus when you collapse. So we talked about that for the chain of anchors. The chain of anchors is used when the present state is significantly different from the desired state. That's the standard NLP. It seems to me that the chain of anchors is really necessary when a person is in a stuck, not moving kind of state, present state. That really being stuck requires a chain of anchors to get them out of that stuck state. So two criteria that you use. First is a stuck state when it's significantly different from the desired state. Now here's a question. And I think this is really the question. How would you like to be able to get out of that stuck state that you ever got into? So work with the clients in the system, clearing up procrastination. You know, I did procrastination to motivation with one of my students and he thought that I was a magician by doing it. He said that he wanted to do his schoolwork, but he just got stuck at the first question. If he was unsure what to do and he didn't know what he wanted to do and that just put him off doing the rest of the questions. So we did a simple chain of anchors from procrastination to motivation on answering his school questions. And I'll tell you what, the next day's procrastination totally ended. He was even down from his room to do his lesson on time. He got through so much and continued to do so. The fact is, it's very, very simple set 
way of setting up and designing the chain that goes from procrastination to motivation or stuck with no options. So if you yourself or you know somebody who gets stuck and they don't move anywhere and they get really into it, they get fluffy and then they get stuck in doing simple setting up with stuck, no options. So again, it's a simple four step process. The present state is so widely separated or removed from the desired state that it's not going to pull over that easy. So the present state is for collapsing anchors and that should be generally a stuck state. So the for chaining anchors, so the present state should be a stuck state. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to chain them together. So these are the criteria for the intermediate state. So the first question is to ask yourself is the next does the next state need to be towards or away from? So this is something that I ask a client about the second state. So here's a possible second state. The second state say, seem, seems to be something that wants to get you off of procrastination. So the client's either going to say, yep, I'm getting off procrastination or, ooh, I really like that. It's a really great state. And I'd like to say, yes, I can get off that procrastination by doing that. And let's say I give the client several states and they don't respond. So I say, well, let's see. So excited that we procrastinate. Would excitement get you off procrastination? Or I would say, well, how about some real intense desire? Would that get you off of procrastination? And they say, no, that's not going to do it. So then they might need to look at some other way away from states. What are some away from states? So you might say to the client, well, how about excruciating boredom? And the client goes, oh, I don't like boredom. I'd do anything to avoid boredom. Well, that's the state for the client. It's the excruciating boredom. Or what about confusion? Confusion, often many people will do anything to avoid confusion. So there are some states which when we when we they are away from states for the client themselves so it helps them get off procrastination state away from that so you can use that as the second one in the chain the second thing is that the state should be able to set the same or similar logical type so the state should be associated so for example a client is associated let's see what will get you off procrastination well i think to get off procrastination um well, if the Cubans attack Florida, well, hmm, that's not clearly the same logical type type of thing from procrastination. So you have to evaluate evaluate what they say and take a look at it and say, hmm, is this the same logical type? Is this the same sort of thing that we're going to be talking about? And is this a, next, a useful next state? So the next state's got to have movement. The, and that movement is to say that it's got to be a moving state. So let me give you some examples of states that are not moving. One client said to me, real intense satisfaction. Well, you know, real intense satisfaction to me doesn't move. And I don't know about you. Here's the thing as you listen to this program. Why don't you just stop and try on some of these states? So think about it. Think about a state of real intense satisfaction. Would that move you on to the next? It certainly doesn't seem to have movement for me. Intense bliss. Oh, bliss. Well, wow, I'm so blissed out. This is so cool. Do you have any movement when you're feeling blissed? Probably not. At least I don't want to move on when I try that. But you might. See, if you try to stay on when you're designing a chain with a client and it doesn't move you, then state probably doesn't have movement. So you've got to feel that state inside of yourself too. So if you're not moved by that state, well, I'll tell you what, don't do it. Because that's not going to be the state to move them either. Let's pick another state. 
Okay, so the next thing is, what's the sufficiently intense state to move the chain on to the next state? Let's see what that is. Well, there's in states like, you know, wanting desire or intense excitement. Those are intense states. The key is the intensity of the state. So if you try on the state, you're designing the chain. You try on the state, the state doesn't have sufficient intensity. If it's not got a lot of juice, if you try it on inside of yourself, and you don't want to move off your spot in some way, then it's probably not intense enough. So some chains of anchors have, uh, um, have got more states than this. The diagram that we've seen here is for four states. And I, th I think it should be limited to four. I think anything more than that won't go through adequately enough. So you've got to be careful about not having the chain too big either. So uh, uh, defining an important away from, if I haven't defined them clearly yet, towards means that you're moving towards what you want. And away from means that you're moving away from what you want, what you don't want. So I give you some examples earlier, but a towards state in the process that might be like desire or excitement or passion or passionate about something. And away from states include things like boredom, frustration, things that you would avoid or confuse you and things that you don't want to get into. I think the second to last state, the one just before motivation, should be a towards state. So the state should be self-initiated. And what does that mean? It self-initiated means it, it should be made inside the client. So if the state is determined inside of the client, then it's going to be something that the client has got control over. So the problem with a state that's not self-initiated is they probably won't have any movement if it's not self-initiated. It doesn't happen outside of them. So it probably won't happen here. So I had a client who said, well, I think a really good state would be shame of not getting the project project done well let's think about that for a minute shame of not getting a project done the person here that's going to require someone outside of themselves and I said wouldn't you be ashamed if there wasn't anybody else around you or with you and he said no well no probably not so the state itself needs to be self-initiated which means that they themselves will produce a state inside themselves regardless of what is going on outside and finally the final state should be completely different to what they've already got. So one client said to me, yeah, you know what's going to get me off procrastination is a looming deadline. Well, don't you already have looming deadlines? Yes, I do, they said. And I said, well, isn't procrastination already a problem? Well, yes, it is. But when the looming deadlines right now, don't you get off procrastination? How are they going to get you off procrastination if I install them as a chain? Or, And he said, well, of course they're not. <laughs> So the state itself should not be how the client already does it. So those are some of the considerations for changes on what you, you should be thinking about in designing the chain of anchors. And we'll get a chance to do this at the live practitioner training. So let's go to specifically at the process on page 62. And so the first thing we want to do is get into rapport. That's really important especially in the listening stage. You remember, you're hopefully going to get into the state before you elicit. And this is this is what what you need to find out at this stage is what what they what they do currently. I've noticed it's kind of funny. One of the things I've noticed is sometimes the students get into the state and the practitioner gets into the state and the client gets into the state and then they'll have a whole group of people in the state of procrastination while they're trying to work out a change. So it's really a good plan if you as the practitioner 
keep away from getting into that state of procrastination while they're trying to work out that change. So stay out of that. So get into rapport, identify the present state, the desired state and how they currently get from procrastination to motivation. Secondly, tell the client what you're about to do by pre-framing and telling them that you'll need to touch them. Number three, decide on the intermediate states between making sure each state has got movement and be intense enough to carry them through to the next state. Remember the last but one has to give momentum to propel towards motivation and get them to try on the chain before to make sure it works for them. Remember to use positive language and that all of them should be self-initiated. Number four is asking the unconscious mind if it's okay to make this change today and for you to be aware of it unconsciously and for you to be aware of it consciously. And number five, elicit each of those states separately. So in our little diagram here, the anchor for the next state is going to be confusion. Then the next state would be desire. So present state, procrastination, second state, confusion. The next state is going to be a lot of desire and the fourth state motivation. So we're going to anchor each one of those separately because, you know, you might have to stack them too to get a high intensity. Now, sometimes a state of procrastination is a wildly associated state for someone. So if you find that procrastination is disassociated for your client, then you have to stack that. But if it's associated, you only need to do one of those. One of the things I've noticed is that when a client is dissociated, that the state of procrastination wasn't stacked high enough. So I think you should essentially make sure to separate this out of the previous state. We're going to break state between each state, especially between the last for the motivation. Remembering to get into each state as you elicit it to take the client into the state themselves. Six, we're going to test each state separately by firing off each one checking each state separately and making sure the client goes into each state, checking their physiology as they do. And then seven, we're going to chain each state together by firing number one. And when number one hits its peak, we're going to fire off number two. And then we release number one. So if I fire anchor number one and number one comes up to the peak, I then put my finger on number two. Taking my finger off number one just slightly after, and then both fingers are touching at the same time and number one comes off almost immediately upon number two going on. And what that does, if it's it, it, when it's done in a sequential way like this, it means that number two comes up to peak and we have number three being fired off, we release number two and then we fire off number four, releasing number three. So once we've done that and we break state, number eight, we can do a kinesthetic test. We're going to fire the present state and the client's going to end up in the final state. Once we've got the chain together, we just simply fire the first anchor to get to the final state. And what we should see is the client going from procrastination through to motivation and see that asymmetry appear as they go from one to the other. So the client ends up in that final motivational step. Number nine, ask them, so how do you feel now about procrastination? Well, we all want to see them feel motivated when you ask them. So you could actually ask them, go right into the motivated state using your sensory acuity. And finally, with future pace. And that's kind of fun. So chaining anchors, it's such a great topic because somebody came to me and they said, I procrastinate. Chaining anchors would be my first choice. 
and then we future pace number 11 uh can you think of a time in the future which if it had have happened in the past you would have procrastinated and tell me what happens instead what the client is essentially doing is installing recovery strategies or future strategies okay so that's chaining anchors and if you want to practice it on your own by all means go right ahead and practice it and that's the end of this module in anchoring and we've looked at a resource anchor stacking anchors a, a stacked resource anchor collapsing an anchor and finally chaining anchors